Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Well, to kick off the story, I thought it'd be fun. Maybe just take five minutes together and we'll all stand up, just kind of greet your neighbor. Um, just get to know the people around you. So I'm just kidding. I didn't think that. Um, some of you looked a little tired. I thought maybe I could get your heart racing, wake you up a little bit if I threatened you with socializing. Um, no, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Revision. Excited to be here this morning. It's been a while uh, since I was up here last. My wife and I, we had our first baby. Uh, well, that's all right. You don't have to be excited. It's just a baby. It doesn't matter. But I, I should say, Elise, she, she did all the work. She had our first baby. I mostly just stared at the wall. And it was a crazy experience. Uh, nothing really went as we had it planned. He was a month early, uh, so we got to spend a week in the hospital just making sure Elise and crew were continually improving. And at the end of all that craziness, we got to bring this little guy home, start our own New little life of craziness, I know. He's the sweetest. Cute little kid. There's one more picture in here. Yeah, <laughs> love that guy. But before you get uh, the wrong idea in your head, this is how we spend most of our time. Yeah, he hasn't really grown out of that yet. In fact, this week he started to do this thing where he doesn't even like to nap during the day. So... No day sleeping or night sleeping. Super fun. Um, But yeah, as we were heading uh, into the hospital to start kind of the whole process of bringing crew into the world, I was updating people, letting them know what was happening. That was kind of my job. And uh, the labor process, it took a few days, so I had plenty of time to chat with family and friends. But a lot of people, kind of after we had talked about Elise and the baby, how everything's doing, they'd eventually get to the same question, which I thought was super interesting. I wasn't super prepped for it. Didn't really realize this was a thing. Um, But they asked, are you going to catch the baby? (laughs) Absolutely not. Like I can't, can't even tell you how big of a no that is. I'm going to get lightheaded up here just thinking about it. Like that's terrible. And then eventually they'd ask the next, well, then you're at least you're going to cut the umbilical cord, right? And I thought for a second and I just, I decided no. Like I... (laughs) I don't want to, but it was funny. Like a lot of people, they were asking me that question. Family, friends, nurses, Elise even asked me. And I was feeling the pressure for sure because everyone just all of a sudden became an expert in biology and the biology of bonding and attachment. And I'm like, this is the best way for you to bond with your newborn. You got to do this. Don't you want to bond with your new baby? And even the nurses threw in a judgmental, like, are you sure? It's just a scissors. And all I could think was like, I'll bond with them after you wipe them down and we take them home. Like, I, I don't think me agreeing to do minor surgery has anything to do with my ability to bond with my kid. But it was this weird feeling because it was almost like, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it felt like that in order for me to be a good dad, according to all of these people, that I had to cut that cord. And I'm terrible if I don't. And now to be fair, crew hasn't really said a word to me in months. And so maybe they were on something. No. But everyone was, was really quick to tell me how I was a bad dad. Hadn't even started yet. Boom. Here's a list of things that you're already doing wrong. And I feel like that same type of thing happens in the Christian world way too often. 
Like, oh, you're, you're a Christian? Oh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I wouldn't have really had any idea. I, I, know, I know you listen to uh, music, Drake, sometimes. I've heard you listen to him. I don't know if you know this. He's been kind of known to place a few large bets down on things, you know, gambling. Uh, some people even say he's cursed. You know, we, we really don't like curses here as Christians. Um, try to stay away from them. Try to stay away from a lot of things. Uh, drinking. I mean, unless it's a really highly rated local IPA. Then, but otherwise, no. Uh, try not to swear. I'm kind to others unless they cut me off in traffic. Um, stay away from R-rated movies. Yeah, I heard you talking about seeing Cocaine Bear last weekend. Um, have you prayed about that yet? And all of a sudden, like the self-proclaimed religious elite have created the scale for all of the people around them to live by and be judged by. And what stinks about this is that people do this in the name of Jesus. But this is the exact kind of behavior that Jesus came to correct and speak against. And that's kind of what we've been talking about throughout this whole series, figuring out the answer to this question, like, what is the gospel? What does it mean? What does it look like to have a relationship with Jesus? Is it about how many good deeds I do or my percentage of rights versus wrongs? Is it whether or not I'm following all the rules laid out in the Bible? Or is the grace of Jesus sufficient? And my salvation has nothing to do with what I've achieved, but everything to do with, with what Jesus achieved on the cross. And so we've been walking through the book of Colossians where the Apostle Paul has kind of spent these first two chapters laying that all out for us. Like, here's the gospel. It's a gift. Accept it freely. Live freely. Surrender to Jesus and experience a peace, a joy, love, and purpose that surpasses all of your understanding. And then in chapter three, Paul, he starts to get practical. And if I could kind of boil down the main idea of today's message into one thing, it would be this. Don't just share the love of God. Be the love of God. Honestly, I kind of wish I could just stand up here for 20, 30 minutes, however long you let me, and just repeat that over and over again so that we wouldn't forget it. Don't just share the love of God. Be the love of God. But for everyone's sake, I'll expand a little bit and then keep pointing back to it. Don't just share the love of God. Be the love of God. In other words, don't just say the right words or do the right things or tell others how they need to meet your standards in order to be loved by God. Don't just put on a show. Actually be the love of God to the people around you. It's as simple as that. But Paul, he expands on the how we do that to help eliminate any confusion. So if you want to open up your Bibles with me to Colossians 3, uh, I'll be starting in verse 5, and I'll give you a second to get there. You can pull out your phone to the Bible app or uh, our church app that has some notes that you can follow along with, too. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible or you need one, you can grab one from the Next Steps table now or after the service. They're totally free. I don't know if you've heard this before, but we love it when they disappear. But here we go. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Now, some of you are 
may be thinking, like, wait a minute, Jeff, you just said that our salvation and relationship with Jesus isn't based on how well we follow a set of rules and that Jesus came to speak against that type of theology, and then you read us a list of rules and things we shouldn't do. What, what am I missing here? Well, here's what's happening. Paul isn't just listing out all of the things that we need to make sure that we're avoiding in order to be considered a good Christian. He's not creating a specific list. He's actually creating a broad description of our former lives before knowing Jesus. Like if you look back at verse three, it says your old life is dead and your new life, like your real life with Jesus, is with Jesus. And so he begins to describe this old life and he says we are to, as uh, verse five says, put it to death. Like just get rid of it, get it out of here. And if you look at the Greek here, it's very strongly worded. Like the verb here, it's nekrosate, which uh, means literally to make dead. And it's in the aorist imperative form for the two nerds out there who care. But it's important to note because uh, that form, it makes it clear that the action, like to make dead, is to be done decisively and with a sense of urgency. Both the meaning of the verb and the form of the tense suggest a vigorous and painful act of personal determination. One of the commentaries I was reading uh, to prep for today compares this urgency to a factory worker who gets his fingers stuck in one of those big industrial rollers. And if he waited another minute, his whole body would be pulled through. So he grabs a nearby axe in order to free his arm at the wrist. Like that's urgency. And he said, it's not easy, nor is it pleasant, but it is the only alternative to a horrible death. So put to death your old life. And Paul, he goes on to describe some serious and, and likely things that can be and tend to be a part of that old way of life. Things like sexual immorality, which covers the whole spectrum of like sleeping around or cheating on your spouse or looking at porn or lusting after someone, paying for sex, like all of that and more falls under this umbrella of sexual immorality. He mentions impurity and how we think, how we speak and act, being violent or aggressive, greed, which speaks to the ruthless desire for and seeking after material things, a narcissistic attitude that kind of coincides with idolatry because it puts self-interest and things just in the place of God. And so Paul, he goes through this whole list as a way of saying, like, you remember what it was like to live in prison to those things. Put them to death. Get rid of them. It's not a list of what not to do's, it's a description of who we once were. Verse seven, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Paul is kind of gathering up their whole life before Christ and he focuses it to a single point, lived. Like Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished. The old is gone, the new is here, put to death your old life. You see, this section, it isn't about keeping track of your rights and wrongs. It's a description of the life we were living before experiencing freedom through Christ. It's an invitation, really, to look in the mirror, not across the room. It's not so much a reminder for us to look at and say, like, okay, just don't do these things. Like, don't do these things. Don't do these things, and I'll be good. Don't do these things, and God will love me. Don't do these things, and it'll be okay. Or even, like, okay, I got to make sure that other people don't do these things. That's not it. They're more like warning flags. Like if you see any of these things start to pop up in your life, that's a flag. You're not living in the freedom of Jesus. You're beginning to live into your old life again. You're starting to take back the seat of God's throne in your life 
or you're starting to replace him with other things, like put those things to death. You used to walk in these ways, but now you have freedom in Christ from the bondage of that old life. And that's something to regularly be aware of and think through in your own life. Like verse 10, it says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Like if you're a Christian, there's probably this moment or maybe even a season where you began following Jesus and surrendering your life to him, putting to death the old things, uh, that old life that you were in, but it doesn't end there, right? There's a continuous process of renewal in our lives as we learn about and become more like Jesus. And so Paul wants uh, to know, like, are you seeing any of these flags in your life as a reminder to say like, hey, that's old stuff. Those are old tapes. Kill those things urgently. Remove them from the throne where Jesus belongs. We're done with that old way of doing things. You're living in freedom now. Kind of like the Israelites being freed from slavery in Egypt. Like they're free, but instead of living into that freedom, they have this tendency to want to go back to Egypt. Go back to the thing that enslaved them because it was familiar. And I think we all do this. We all had those moments in our lives. But Paul's reminder is that if you're following Jesus, you're living in freedom now. Like we see this idea all over the New, the New Testament, like this beautiful message of Jesus. We see it in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. Here's uh, one in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new is here. And so what does that look like, to be new? Well, Paul, he didn't leave us hanging. Verse 12, he continues in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is like the flip side of what we just read. Like verse 5, that first section says, put to death the old life, and verse 12 says, put on the new. And here's what it looks like. like. It looks like the fruits of the Spirit. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. But don't just do them. Clothe yourself with them. And I love that metaphor because Paul, he's reminding us, like, just like he did with the last paragraph, that I'm not just giving you a list of things to follow and hold others to. Like I just finished a list of to don'ts and then here's your big list of to do's and what you should hold others to. It's not that. These things are the results and response to living a new life free in Christ. He's saying if you're living a life surrendered to Jesus and the Holy Spirit's living in you, these things, like these qualities, these attributes just become part of your personality. You can't help but let these flow out of you. The Spirit of God is living in you and shining through you in how you act and how you live. You see, like all of these things I'm listing out here, just clothe yourself in them. Again, he's saying you'll see this play out because these descriptors are just part of who you are, like the clothes on your back. They'll go around with you always, wherever you go. This is who you are. You see, it's about identity, not proficiency. 
It's not about becoming proficient in these things in order to be good enough. It's about accepting that Christ already says you are good enough. And because you are clothed with that freedom in this new life, this stuff, it just flows right out of you. It's who you are. It's your identity. The big idea, Paul, he's getting at here is that this new life is characterized by and flooded with the love of Christ. All of the virtues listed in verses 12 and 13 are manifestations of love. Like love is who God is and through the love he's shown us and because of the spirit of God living in us, we're able to clothe ourselves with that same love allowing it to break through to the core of who we are in a way that naturally flows out of us in our day-to-day lives because it's who we are. And so a question that I want to ask you this morning is how are you doing? Like, how are you doing? Does your life, does your identity, does it look a little more like old life, the old life that Paul describes? Are there some flags that need to be addressed? Or would you say that you're living in the freedom of the new life with Jesus, just clothed with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, peace, and thankfulness? How are you doing? I remember back in high school, I had just started following Jesus. I got invited to church my junior year, and like a lot of new Christians, my excitement was high, uh, but my wisdom and maturity was pretty low. I was like a golden retriever who found a big stick and couldn't get it through a narrow fence and just kept on plowing away. I was excited but dumb. And it was summertime, and during the summer for youth group, we did this thing called drop-ins. And uh, we'd meet at this family's house who had a lot of land and a pool, and so we'd swim, and we'd play ultimate frisbee, and uh, grill hot dogs, have a fire, and then Mike would uh, gather everyone around for a devotion. We'd do some worship together and just hang out, and it was great. Well, one night, uh, my friends and I, we were driving to drop-ins, and we saw someone from our youth group in the car ahead of us, and we didn't know him super well. Like, it was a big youth group. They were a year older than us, but we knew him well enough. We were going to just drive up next to him, make some weird faces, and then see him at drop-ins. Um, have a good time, nothing crazy. But before we could do that, we saw a cigarette kind of hit the ground and spark right behind their car, like they had just flicked it out the window. Yeah, insert gasp here. Like, what? You smoking? You call yourself a Christian? Jesus said, and like, we were beside ourselves for the whole rest of the car ride. And so when we got to the house, we walked up to him, our chests were puffed out and our halos were on full brightness. And we gave them one of those just real disappointed looks. And we said, so, um... You know what we saw on our way over here? Like, no. Okay, we'll follow up. We were the car behind you, if that helps ring any bells. Most of the way, we followed you here. And still, they were like, what are you talking about? And then, like we were in an interrogation room on a TV show, we said, we saw the cigarette that you threw out of your car. We can only assume that you were smoking it. And they had no idea what we were talking about. They denied it and denied before eventually we went our separate ways, but we knew what we saw. We also knew it was against the Christian rules that we had in our heads, and so we made sure to shout our faith at them in hopes that they'd be as holy as us. We cared more about being right than being Jesus. Then a few years later, I was driving down the road one evening, and I noticed that the car in front of me kind of drove over a cigarette that I could see it had already been lying on the ground, but because of the wind and the turbulence of the car, it kind of tumbled and it sparked up just as like someone had flicked it out, fresh out of their car. And all of a sudden I flash back to this moment, like this moment where I was so ready 
to correct and shout my faith and be right. And I was so worked up, I I failed to consider even the possibility that they had just driven over a cigarette that had already been thrown on the ground. I mean, it makes sense. Like the spark, it was right under their car, like dead center under the bumper. You'd have to do some pretty creative driving to get it there, throw something like that from the driver's seat. And I just had this moment, like I was crushed. Truly, like I had been the person that I encouraged people not to be. Like I became the person that Jesus and Paul and other New Testament writers warn about. Like they call out this behavior and this bad theology and I had to repent because like again, I was so excited to be right and point back to this rule book and this list of things that they did wrong that I totally missed the love of Jesus. Like I said earlier, this, this passage in Colossians, it's an invitation to look in the mirror, not across the room. It makes me really sad that so many Christians only focus on the latter. Like that we're, we're so quick to notice and point out and criticize the flags that we see in others without first taking a look in the mirror. I mean, Jesus, he talked about this in Matthew 7. Like, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a big plank in your own eye? We have to, I just think we have to remember our our faith, our life, it's about identity, not proficiency. It's about who Jesus says you are, not about following rules with religious vigor. There's there's two points that I really want to make this morning kind of as I... I don't know, finish up and, and help really drive the point home. They're, they're fairly similar in how they're worded, but hopefully, again, they just kind of drive this point home. And, and the first one here is how you walk is more important than what you say. How you walk is more important than what you say. And the second, it's similar. Again, living our faith is better than shouting our faith. Living our faith is better than shouting our faith. Like if we truly want to live a life of freedom and experience the peace of God, and if we want to share that gift with others, it's not going to happen because of our proficiency at avoiding the bad and our efficiency at doing the good. It's going to happen because our identity is in Christ, because we're clothed in Christ. Like when it comes to Jesus, our job is to be love, not God's referee. I think it, like if that's all we do, we're totally missing out. Like we may, best case scenario, get the anatomy right, but get the spirit of God totally wrong, which I think it can be dangerous because then like in our faith conversations, all of a sudden it becomes more important to be right than it does to be Jesus. We make it about us rather than him. And that, that's, that's an old life red flag right there. Like put on your new life and be renewed as you learn to know Jesus and become like him. Because that's our greatest testimony. Living our faith is better than shouting our faith. How you walk is more important than what you say. And so how do we do this? That's the question. How do we live into the freedom and new life Christ offers? Well, as Paul says, I think first we have to aggressively put to death the old life. And how do we do that? I think quite simply, like, just name it and kill it. That's kind of the, the quick easy thing to remember for this morning. And my challenge for us all at some point this week, this afternoon might be a good time while everything is fresh on our mind, is just read through the pa- this passage in Colossians 3 and reflect. 
Like, ask yourself if you see any of these things in you. Ask God to reveal any of these unhealthy habits in your life that you might not even see. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, selfishness, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lies. Like, look for ways that you're putting yourself or putting things in the place of God. Name them and kill them. But don't stop there. Uh, I think our view of ourselves sometimes can be a little biased. And so ask a couple people who you're close to, too. Like, if you're married, ask your spouse, do you see any of these unhealthy patterns in me? Ask a close friend or two the same question. Like, if you do this, I would love for everyone to do this this week. But if you do this, I'll say it is vulnerable. It might be uncomfortable, but let me encourage you to receive their responses with grace and not defensiveness. And if there's anything that comes to the surface that seems like it's an old life pattern that's competing with God for the place on the throne, kill it. Get rid of it. If you, have, you might have to admit some embarrassing things. You may need to find some accountability. Whatever you have to do, kill it. Like, it's worth it. Leave it behind urgently and aggressively. The old has gone, the new is here. I promise you, you will experience so much more peace, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love if you free yourself from the prison of your old life. Surrendering your heart, accepting the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, of Jesus and, and truly believing that it's sufficient, it's not only going to change your life, but it will transform you into a living testimony for the people around you. And here's why that matters. Like, big picture. Here's why that matters. It matters that we do this. Because if the gospel doesn't live deeply in the church, it won't shine brightly in the world. Like, if the gospel message of Jesus doesn't live deeply within the church, you and me, the ecclesia, church, the body of Christ, if the gospel doesn't live deeply within you and me, it won't shine bright in the world. Simply because we won't let it. Like our desire for the old and our inability to kill who we once were will keep us from being able to shine brightly the new life that we've been given through Christ. And that matters for us as Christians, I think. Like that matters for us as people who want to see the people around us understand the freedom and beauty of the gospel. It's significant and it's worth pondering where you're at because settling for one foot in the old and one foot in the new is really just a creative way to live by our own standards instead of God's. And when we do that, like our tendency is to convince the world around us how right we are instead of spreading the love of Jesus. We become accustomed to giving words of correction instead of words of affirmation. We become legalistic instead of loving, and we prevent ourselves from experiencing true freedom because we're not willing to kill the old. And so Paul's encouragement to you, verse 10 again, put on your new life. Continue to be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So now let's go do it, all right? Like I encourage you, don't just agree with me here this morning. Like, yes, Jeff, that sounds... That was a really nice sermon you gave up there. Like, let, let's actually go be the church and shine brightly to the world around us. Take some time this week to reflect and then aggressively and urgently take steps forward by surrendering the old and accepting the freedom and forgiveness that Jesus offers in the new. 
You guys pray with me. God, thank you so much just for the true gift of forgiveness. And I pray that as we head home this week, back to real life, back to reality, that you would just pick away at the, the hardness in our hearts, the, the crusty bits that we just can't seem to let go of. Like whatever it is in us that makes us think that we have to do enough, be good enough, check all of these boxes to earn your love, just help destroy that in us. Help us to tear up the to-do lists, the be good enough lists that we have in our head and just help see the people around us, see ourselves how you see us. Full of grace and full of love, just help us to be bright spots in the world around us that aren't tied to our old selves. Just help us to continually stay away from the old so that we can continue chasing the new and becoming more and more like you. We love you. Amen.